Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. And welcome to CBE's podcast, Mutuality Matters, the global impact of egalitarian theology on human flourishing. I'm honored to interview today uh, with my co-host, Kim Dixon, Prabhu Deepan, and he has uh, so much valuable experience that it is such a great joy to welcome you, Prabhu. Our guest, Prabhu, is uh, Tear Fund's Regional Director for Asia leading holistic relief and development work across Asia. He has over 14 years of experience working on issues such as HIV, gender and gender-based violence, especially with youth and community mobilization. Prabhu also led Tear Fund's gender and protection globally and was a gender specialist for global planning. Prabhu is also co-created Tear Fund's evidence-based transforming masculinities intervention in 12 countries now. These resources are available in five languages, and he has extensive experience in masculinity research and having been part of the UN's multi-country study on men and violence in Asia and the Pacific. Prabhu spoke to CB's audience this past fall, and it's just a delight to welcome you back. Thank you, Mimi. Thanks, Kim. Prabhu, I had the opportunity last fall to hear you um, on the panel at the international conference, the online one, which meant people from everywhere could watch and listen. It was great. Um, Could you tell our listeners what led you to your current work? Yeah. uh, Again, thank you, Kim and Mimi. I'm really excited to have this conversation. And thanks for inviting me into this space. Um, and I hope that, you know, whatever I share resonates with people who are listening in. And yeah, just uh, excited to share my journey in this uh, conversation as well. Uh, for me, I guess, growing up, you know, you know, in the war, I, you know, everything around this is very retrospective, right? Like, obviously, uh, I didn't know what I was doing for a long time. And now <laughs> that I look back and think about it, and I think everything makes sense. Um, so for me, I think the moment of kind of, uh, like, realization uh, is really when I started working with uh, men and masculinities with Care International. And then afterwards, when Tear Fund invited me to kind of explore this conversation, really looking at how can we meaningfully work with men and women around gender equality as a violence prevention method. Uh, and that question of exploring, you know, what would work in a faith context and predominantly Christian context uh, in the countries that we were exploring this. I think it is in those moments in this conversation where it really dawned to me that it is a, an important conversation for me to have for myself and to be part of that journey together with other men and women. So I remember being in focus group discussions, trying to understand how to define, you know, uh, develop or design an intervention that could engage with people, men and women, both uh, to transform masculinities or harmful practices and harmful traits related to masculinities. Um, I, I remember like trying to think, okay, you know, if I never come back to these communities, is there something I can live with them from my own, you know, journey? Um, 
I'm just really talking to them from my personal experiences of my childhood as living through trauma, like, you know, domestic violence, my you know father being very abusive towards my mom, the war and all of that. And then also my own you know, relationship and, you know, with my wife and just my journey in that space. Uh, and and sharing as a as a desperate please telling people like you know i remember a few uh, one man in in one of the communities that i was you know uh, sharing this saying prabhu how can i be something i've never been seen you know i've never seen another man behave in a different way my father wasn't like this no other men are like this so how can i be something i've never seen and i think at that moment mm-hmm. i was like you know here is an example of jesus christ you know mm-hmm. because uh everyone we all want to be like jesus and follow his model so here are really tangible practical ways and his characteristics as a human being as a man as a leader as somebody who constantly interacted with those who are considered vulnerable in society mm-hmm. and that was kind of the you know realization uh, for me i remember going back to the same community as for after 4 6 months 4 to 6 months we had not started the intervention at that time and i remember sitting in this uh, group they were feeding back on the work that we were doing with survivors we had already started it and i remember this pastor in this uh, you know community in uh, it's called taho in burundi and he says after prabhu seminar i re- i realized that i have been raping my wife for the last 20 years i have never asked her for consent ever and at that moment it was the most you know kind of thing that i realized that how powerful it is it is to be in conversation with people create an alternative narrative give something yes. for people to hopeful and transform so i think for me that was the kind of moment i realized for myself but also on the other hand came in me is that you know i grew up saying i don't want to be like my father like that meant i don't want to be of violent course. i don't want to be you know but that that is like looking at the worst person a murderer and saying i'm a good person because i don't murder <laughs> uh, you know it doesn't make yeah. me a good person you right. know so for me i think then looking at what is this what is the alternative what do i want to be not what i not don't want to be but what do i want to be and i think that's where the inspiration for this work comes mm-hmm. from as well like what is the ideal rather than saying the low standards of being you know a good man which is don't beat your wife don't cheat and then you're a good man that's not what it should be what what does it mean to be the alternative so i think that journey and that that desperation that that kind of uh, um almost sometimes feeling like you know what what can i do more has led me in this work led me in conversations with people who continue to kind of journey with me as well so i think that's kind of where i see uh, my journey and how this started uh, you know or i just continued or evolved since then i guess mm-hmm. i love that so you were being engaged in the work and the feedback from the man even in burundi who said mimi's told me this story but it is so powerful how can i be something i've never seen which got you thinking well this is jesus and and even for you to think i don't want to compare myself to my dad so instead let's look at who jesus is and that helped create this model right that's beautiful amazing too hmm. probably i don't know if you're familiar with the uh yeah <clears throat> the issue paper that was released from the UN last year from room 5 about the role religion plays both as an obstacle and an opportunity to gender equality and i wonder you know in these these moments one that you just cited a moment ago where someone realizes he's been raping his wife i mean what pops into your head as a as a believer what how do you speak into these circumstances into these lives and stories with the power of Jesus i mean what is it how have you found yourself navigating that 
Yeah, thanks, Mimi. I think it's a question that I ask myself almost every day. You know, you hear stories that are very difficult, very challenging. Then you hear stories which are really inspirational and hopeful. And I think that's a reality. As somebody, as a Christian, uh, you know, as a follower of Christ who's trying to navigate my identity, my intersectional identity, you know, in this as a male, as a person of color, as a minority in this country, and all the complexities around that. And then working, you know, in a setting or, you know, really engaging with an issue that is really a result of patriarchal, right? Patriarchal state that we are mm-hmm. in. And how do we navigate that? And and then listening to scriptures that I traditionally grew up with. And I, you know, hear being repeated over and over again and, and being, challenged, being challenged by how harmful they are, the way that they are, you know, either interpreted or applied in people's day-to-day lives. Hmm. And then also then, you know, leading this intervention and seeing this hopefulness, like, you know, redeeming, you know, how we engage with scriptures in that space. Um, I guess it's constantly, you know, uh, you feel affirmed in many ways that you feel like there's so much good that we can do. The potential to transform lives of men and women is so much. And to relook at our scriptures in a way that elevates men and women, you know, promotes equality is, uh, you know, is something really, really powerful, especially when you're sharing and reading scriptures together with people. Mm -hmm. And the moment they realize how most often it's people who, you know, interpret scriptures from a particular lens that they are already, you know, they have been socialized with. And then they try to apply that in their context because then it affirms their power, you know, Mm -hmm. affirms their status in society, whether it's being a male or a leader, etc., but also then reading the alternative and people going, oh, my God, how did I not say this? I think, you know, so I think I've come across, you know, variation of people, some people who are reluctant to see, even though they know, some people who fail to see and haven't really seen an alternative way of looking at it because that's the way that they've grown up. They've not interrogated it, yeah. uh, you know, and I, I think I've always gone, go between these two. And I remember like this pastor <clears throat> from Central Asian States, I was doing this, uh, training, he said, Prabhu, I cursed the day I met you. I came into this, <laughs> you know. He said, I came into this and everything was okay for me. My worldview and how I saw men and women and this was okay. You know, I was okay with that. Now you challenge, you mess with my head. You've given me an alternative way of looking at it. And I think that's what, you know, I feel like I'm that way as well, right? Like, I, yeah. So I guess that's what I would say. I mean, you know, I was with a, a, an organization you might consider secular working on gender equality. And I would think about, see how harmful religion could be and the ways that it's used. And I remember my focus group dis- discussions that I just was telling you, the few ones there. Sometimes people, pastors getting up and saying, you know, no, women should be beaten. The Bible says we should discipline, you know, a woman should submit, etc. Then I hear the, the alternative, what I just told you. And seeing the stories of transformation through transfer masculinities and seeing violence reduced, like in the DRC, by 60% intimate partner violence reduced, gender equality growing, social cohesion between men and Muslims and Christians, and all of these positive things, seeing, mm-hmm. and then the impact on my own life and my son's life, and I'm seeing this. I think it's just uh, the, the possibility of an alternative you know, uh, world and alternative space. I think that gives me hope that we still have a lot of room to engage with faith actors, faith leaders, faith communities, not instrumentalize them, not like giving books and say, hey, can you preach this? Can you say this? No, but really journeying with them and saying, how can this transform your life? And how can you lead this transformation from within you? And it's a journey. Mm-hmm. You know, my, I started mm-hmm. where saying, I don't want to be like that and put me in the opposite direction of my dad. Mm-hmm. Here I am today. And, you know, it's not like I'm here and I made it, but it's a journey. How do you continue the journey? How do you hold yourself accountable? You know, 
So I think that's what I see. So it's not like a yes or no, either or, you know, um, uh, answer for me. I think I, I struggle with it myself mm-hmm. most of the times. And I think that's what it pushes me to kind of keep interrogating, keep, keep exploring, keep asking, is there more, you know, within this? Um, yeah, so I guess we need to be redeemed, right? And that's the whole point of the gospel. And I do think our theology around this needs redemption. I mean, it's possible. Mm. Wow. So I have goosebumps just listening to you as I imagine this transformative, these transformative lives and community changing how people interact with scripture and God and one another. It's like, woo. Um, but to follow up on Mimi's question, um, what are some of the challenges that you see among um, Christian humanitarian organizations who struggle with gender equality as a central teaching of scripture? especially given the outcomes that you see when Christians teach and practice gender equality as foundational to Christian Christianity. Yeah, I think it's an interesting dichotomy that we create, right? Like even look at anything, leave it on gender equality, like mm-hmm. all these ideas that we take into, you know, humanitarian space, impartiality, gender equality, you know, inclusivity, and all of those things that, amazing things that we will, you know, uh, go and, present to our communities as an alternative, as a way of presenting something, you know, powerful, different, as transformational. Then the organizational culture as our organization, the principles, the values that we promote and we believe are sometimes contradictions, right? So -hmm. even the same with gender equality. We know that gender equality is, if you, you know, if you're an organization that wants in poverty, you know, in conflict, in climate, in all of those things, gender is such a critical lens, Mm -hmm. critical thing that I either could make things worse for people because of the, the identities and the margins, because they're in the margins, or it could mm-hmm. be something that could be truly transformational from peace negotiations to, you know, poverty reduction to the climate, you know, uh, justice programs. But then we do not take that into consideration in our organizations. We know what difference women's leadership could make in community decision-making, in camp settings, in crisis response, in peace negotiations, etc. Why not in the organization? Mm-hmm. So I do see this dichotomy that we create, you know, and I, you know, gender is one of them. And I think we can label many other things. So I do see there are a lot more Christian organizations that are coming in this, you know, and being on this journey and starting to kind of uh, understand for themselves, but also see that it is still a struggle. People try to compartmentalize, segment, saying this is our theology, theology, theology of mission versus theology, what we really believe in the organization. Right. You know, versus, you know, so I, I really think it's a dilemma that we've created ourselves. Um, and I do see positives. I do see things that are changing. And I really also think that obviously it's still a struggle in some countries and some spaces, depending on the political narratives in those places as well. We do not, you know, see, um, you know, this as a critical thing for us to internalize before we actually you know, start sharing it outside. And I do think it's time that the humanitarian sector, especially the Christian development sector or humanitarian sector, starts, you know, you know, reckoning with this issue. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a dilemma, you know. It's interesting because it, it almost sounds kind of like what the man in Burundi said. Um, I haven't seen anything different. So the humanitarian organizations, even though they know that when you give leadership to women, it changes things in a very positive way, the humanitarian organizations themselves don't have examples to follow of how how that's done. So it's it's trying to figure it out. It's learning how to do it, and they haven't really been very good at it yet. 
I, yeah, yeah. It, it does remind me of the <clears throat> book, uh, the sociology of the discipline, the sociology of knowledge, where to really bring transformation, it's essential to model the message yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think Jesus, of course, works on that in our lives every day. But I was wondering, Prabhu, um, maybe going from that conversation to one or two stories you have in dealing with positive masculinity, being an example or a model yourself, or creating stories for uh, boys and men where they can at least you know, history plays such a big role in my life, but when I when I'm without models, I look for them in history. And I, I mm. just wondered how you you know how you advance positive masculinity and some some stories from you would be great. Yeah, thanks, Mary. Like I said, I think in our intervention model, you know, we take them to a six weekly you know dialogue, men separately and women separately. And the fifth week they come together and have a conversation together and you know that's kind of the standard process. We, when we work with Christians, we use the example of Jesus Christ because it's easy. We look at scriptures, we go through various contexts and we think not only as men and women, but also leaders because we work with church mm -hmm. leadership, etc. as well, right? So, you know, so one of the things is that then we kind of put that on and we really help ask people to start reimagining that, you know, what does that look like in our day-to-day -day lives? Because our point of reference, you know, so we try not to go back to the point of reference of what thing, where things are at right now or try to prescribe what this could look like as a, what does gender equality look like? It's like tomorrow men cooking and women going to, you know, that's, my father was a great cook. That didn't prevent him from, you know, beating my mother up. You know, so really about, it's about challenging the values that are assigned to roles and challenging the roles assigned based on values in terms of how that looks like on our day-to-day -day lives. And then talking about spaces and leadership in the church and the community, et cetera, as well. Now, one example is that, but also we really want to create space for men and women to come and testify in the church. Like we talk about it in a program language, you said diffusion, right? People need to see, you know, not only hear, but also see, but also kind of that needs to be you know, diffused because that should be the affirming message. You know, for example, I remember this story in one of the communities that we were working with. Most of the men were like doing household chores and all of these things, but they would never sweep the front of the house because other men could see them. Because the, <laughs> the norm... And that was the norm and not the, you know, it was an exception. Right. So we need to flip the narrative where this becomes a norm. Mm -hmm. You know, being equitable, being transformative, being uplifting, being caring and loving and compassionate and being Christ-like is the norm and the exception is being violent. Mm -hmm. So I guess this is kind of, kind of how we go into. We try not to prop people up as like this is an example because, you know, I myself, I fail. And so, and I think it just being on that journey of trying to kind of see how that works. So Jesus Christ works in other, uh, you know, kind of faith context. We use other uh, references or stories mm -hmm. from their childhood uh, and, you know, really kind of doing that work. Yeah. Wow. You have so much experience in this space. Yes. Thank you. So I know you've um, been part of a UN multi-nation study on this topic. Could you share with our listeners what was the outcome of that? Yeah, I mean, I was part of the Sri Lanka. So there was a, back in 2010 to 12, the UN led a massive uh, multi-country study in 10, uh, you know, 10 countries across Asia and the Pacific. It was really to understand why men use violence. Hmm. And, you know, so I was part of the Sri Lankan study, you know, with the, I was at CAI International at that time. Um, it was not a faith-related study, but one of the most staggering things that I saw, not only the levels of perpetration, 
versus you know corroboration of experiences women right so like it's not, so this is the first time i saw like how we can look at data and corroborate women's experiences versus you know men's you know kind of reporting of perpetration but mm. the level of impunity how many men reported 93 odd percent at that time in my country's context reported there were no consequences as a result of their physical or sexual abuse or assault or rape you know wow. you know no cultural consequences no uh, you know legal consequences and i think that's the staggering truth even yeah. in today's you know that there is no consequences and the high level of stigma that we see for survivors or victims to come forward and talk about this you know i i think there's a high profile case that just got awarded in favor of the uh, you know said um, i think in it's making the social media rounds at the main two two actors or actor you know actor and an actress at the moment and you can see how the messages of impunity gets reinforced in every context mm-hmm. so that was kind of the staggering thing that i took away from it. and then also obviously seeing the level of trauma or, or traumatic experiences of men and boys as well that gets mm. suppressed you know as myself being a survivor of sexual abuse i re- recognize how often that doesn't get spoken about you right. just go from being boys to men and you can't talk about it there's so much of stigma shame associated with that mm-hmm. and the levels of men reporting sexual abuse before the age of 16 is just staggering you know wow. so, so again, they did the co- report it yeah they did report it because you mm-hmm. know because it was anonymous you know uh, uh, confidential survey but we don't have space to talk about it and we never talk about it because you know it's not acceptable for men to talk about their vulnerabilities as well and i think there is this you know issue of how do we create spaces and again i think this is where it gets complex because i think sometimes we think okay it's a let's we're talking about gender based violence so and talking to women male survivors so let's talk about all experiences of violence it's not the same right me as a male survivor myself doesn't kind of then strip me off my kind of privilege and power as well you know Right. I still am a male in that context so bringing people together I think this helps me to talk about this in a nuanced way I too mm-hmm. have experienced it but the context the historical you know oppression and discrimination and data realities of men and women are very different to my experience right. and I think that's an important thing to acknowledge you know so I think that study was really profound to kind of understand that and then also like I did a, you know the the follow up studies that I've been involved with you know um through the what works program uk government funded or georgetown universities just just to see the levels of uh, perpetrations and experiences and stigma women not seeking support not only because it doesn't exist but the stigma and shame is most often on women right right so i think those are things that was really profound to see uh for me back this is 2010 i think it's quite similar still which is a sad <laughs> reality you know right it is Registration is now open for CBE's 2022 International Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. Join us in person August 5th through 7th as we explore the fullness of Galatians 3:28 beside leaders from around the world like Craig and Medine Keener, Mimi Haddad, Michelle Sanchez, David Hart, Michelle Williams, Grace Alzubi, and many more. We want you to be a part of the conversation on women, race, and ethnicity. You can register now as an individual for $299. Group and membership discounts are also available. Visit CBE's website to see information on the event schedule, lodging, speakers, and sponsorship opportunities. We hope to see you in just a few weeks as we explore the fullness of Galatians 3:28. Register today at cbe.today/2022conf. You know, it's just layer upon layer upon layer of experience and knowledge and awareness. It's it's just crucial because i think often we have a very simplistic view of these problems and challenges and that's really what i appreciate most about you probably is just 
your willingness to deal with the many complexities that surround the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that so much. And, and so in a way, this next question we have comes across rather simplistic. I mean, how do you help Christian humanitarian organizations, and you're very familiar with them, move the needle forward on gender equality so that their work can move forward. I mean, again, it's just layer upon layer, but if you can hit on just a few examples of where success has been realized. I think it has come down to leadership and a willingness to see and to hear and to you know trust the process. You know, I think not everyone comes to the table like fully sold on this, but I think people do recognize that this is an important conversation. And then to be able to be led in that conversation as well. So I, I, I think, you know, our experiences have been trying to understand for ourselves as an organization, why do we want to talk about this? You know, because we see this, you know, as a reality in our communities, obviously a reality for women, women and men in our organization as well. But how do we diagnose this? How do we understand this as an organization? And then what do we want to do to be on that journey? And we've tried various things, like one recognizing that it's just not about policies and practice and programs and you know leadership and recruitment and all of those things that we you know segmented and focused on as working groups but also it's about the hearts and minds as well you know it's about our hearts and minds because there needs to be a shift in the way that we think and you know uh, what we believe at, in order for those policies and practice and you know the transformation to take place and it's a journey and i'm really grateful that as an organization we've seen this it most often started with external commitments, right? Like, so like I said, these standards that we say that this is what we will do in our outworking of our programs. So no, you know, impartiality, inclusivity, you know, gender equality, all of that. I think then there was this desire and people really saying, what about us? What about us as an organization? What about the men and women in this organization? Hmm. You know, what about our theology? You know, so because as a Christian organization, since theology plays a crucial part of it, it was really important for us to, position our our theology on what we believe and that is you know that men and women were created in god's image in the triune image of god as equals Mm -hmm. you know uh, and i think that's kind of what we we've seen as well so i think it's really important thing to kind of keep in mind so i really think like you know that's been the journey but leadership it comes down to leadership it comes down to leadership it comes down to the fact that leaders who senior leaders are willing to be on that journey for themselves some of them wanting to champion this but also there's a deep desire for the organization to do be, to be better, to recognize that we want to be contributing to something uplifting and positive for our staff members. And, you know, we want to be modeling that out as well. That's what Jesus would do, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I've seen. And, you know, obviously there are various entry points to organizations, some externally driven as well. You can no longer not be focusing and talking about gender equality I think if you belong to certain spaces as a development agency or humanitarian, it's not a negotiable anymore. So I think that drives this forward as well. So I think it's something we've seen in various organizations. But I think all of these are moments, right, that needs to be turned into some sort of a movement within, you know, and there are people like us who come along and said, okay, you know, we are happy to accompany, we are happy to lead some of these conversations and in this process as well. So five years down the line, I think we are better for it, better than where we were. I think we continue to grow as an organization. Our board is very, you know, again, representative of both men and women leadership and really amazing leadership. They've seen transformational leadership. And I don't think the evidence is lacking. You know, it's not a debate where we say, oh, what if we elect women? What if we have women in leadership? It's not. 
you know, it is, it's a reluctance that we see. It's mm. no longer something that is, we, people need evidence for. What evidence do we need? You know, mm. we live in societies. We've seen throughout COVID. We've seen before women's leadership makes a huge contribution, transformational contribution to our societies in that way. And that's the intention in this in creation. So I think, you know, that's helpful to believe as well. Go back to scriptures and see that way. So I, I don't know, like, if there's, like, a replica, rec, replicable you know, uh, model or steps that we can take, saying one, two, three, four, five, six. But I do think leadership, it comes down to leadership at different layers, um, whether it's to push the leadership, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or whether the leadership actually is like, we need to do something, you know, because of a strong conviction from their personal beliefs or whatever. Uh, and then it needs to be turned into some sort of a movement within the organization, I guess. You know, I remember um, when I was doing my doctorate in England, my supervisor, had, she was a woman and she was an expert in feminist theology and she had an endowed chair of, in theology in the department. And they were the professors who rallied to bring her into that position were also, I think, the professors who expected her to prepare, you know, tea at, at staff meetings and when we had graduate forums and seminars, she was supposed to be in the kitchen getting it ready so everyone felt welcome. And there was just such an irony there. I mean, things have improved, but it starts with the mind and it slowly works down to everyday examples. And yeah. I, I think maybe you talk about an important thing. I think it's important for us to model an alternative. So that means intentionality, intentionality of those leaders like myself who believe and want to understand how we come into conversations, how we model this, how we create spaces. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. You know, probably you've been involved in this for a long time. Um, and you just talked about uh, being able to see hope in, in the progress. I think in I think it's in the progress, but can you speak to um, the changes that you have seen that give you this hope? Yeah, I can. I mean, you know, I do start with myself, you know, as I said, my own yeah. thinking and how I change in that space and how I continue to, you know, trying to engage with that. So that's one thing. I see how it rubs off and how it reflects in my son's life and, you know, mm-hmm. and him as a 11-year-old starting to talk about, find the language to talk about equality as well. But I've also seen statistics and data from the work that we do across the you know, 12 countries. You know, like, as I said, 60% reduction of intimate partner violence, wow. you know, 83% reduction of non-partner sexual violence. That means any kind of form of violence, sexual violence that was perpetrated by a not-partner, a not-intimate partner. In, so we can see that violence reducing at the household and relationship level also leads to violence reducing in the community. So if we do have people who believe in equality and start to model, start to explore that together, it's not really changing how men and women interact with themselves and violent relationships, but also the community itself. Wow. And we've seen this in Nigeria, in DRC, in Sri Lanka, you know, in Brazil, across the world where, you know, we see people's lives transformed. And it's not a destination, right? It's a journey. It's a continued mm-hmm. journey, movements of people journeying together. And I think it gives me hope. I see, you know, go back and see uh, uh, people talk about how this is transformed the way that, you know, sometimes it's so... Um, you know, in my own eyes, it's insignificant, mm-hmm. but others, it's profound. Like for the women in, you know, that I was working in a predominantly Muslim community where they say, my husband will, won't stop saying I love you to me. He holds my hand, now we walk. For me, like, I'm like, that's, but wow. like, that's so profound. You know, like my yes. girls can go to school now because we believe 
inequality mm-hmm. in that space. So I, I think we need to be starting to recognize all these forms of changes because otherwise we can't sustain this movement. Right. We're not going to have that massive change unless we recognize that little girl who went to school, that woman mm-hmm. whose husband you know, starts affirming of love or that man who's starting to kind of you know, become an advocate or the man who says, I want to change, I want to lead this transformation, you know, or people like me or you and all of that we need to start recognizing and also the em- empirical data that we see from these interventions that are projects and you know all of the things which is great mm-hmm. stuff right but mm-hmm. obviously that's not the only thing so i can talk about you know uh, like the endline studies and quantitative data that you know we have from our work in nigeria and drc and other parts of the world but also the real life stories that i hear and the smiles that you see because people feel sometimes almost set free because they don't live in these boxes anymore that is defined by a society that says, you as a man, this is the only way you can be. You as a woman, this is the only way you can be. And you can't negotiate. You can't think about an alternative where you both can flourish, you know, yeah. without one having to sacrifice their hopes and dreams and desires and God-given potential. What kind of a world is that? So I think that's the hope, I guess, to see that, you know, and, and being able to see that, that keeps us going in this work that's saying it's possible, yeah. So you have the anecdotal stories, which are powerful and beautiful, but then you have these amazing statistics that back it up. Those numbers are huge. That's so exciting. Wow. I know. I mean, I just felt my shoulders relax as you were talking about both the combination of personal stories and data. You know, there's a lot of flourishing that we we just don't see or appreciate. And thank you so much for the work that you do. CBE's next conference is likely to be in Brazil next July. So I'll have to reach out to you about that as well. But, um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Prabhu, uh, we would just love to follow you around for about a month and just watch what you do and take careful notes and pray for you. As of course, we ask our listeners to pray for you and, um, it's just been a beautiful journey to watch you grow and to watch your community work so faithfully and with such intelligence and commitment to God. So thank you so much. How can we be praying for you in the coming year? Yeah, I mean, I have actively tried to kind of distinguish this work for myself because I've taken a different role, right? So like I and this work is, you know, take, being led by amazing people within the organization and the communities, as I said. And there's a lot of conversation around scaling it up in various countries. You know, uh, I, Mimi, you were reading about that it's available in five languages. That was a long time ago. It's like now more than 10 languages. And it's not just a translation. It's an adaptation to a different context and different language. We've just launched a, uh, finishing up a storybook for children, you know, Sunday school children as well, uh, you know, which is going to be talking about gender equality. It's just really phenomenal. I just pray for the team that's leading that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, the movements need to decenter people. Like myself, it's not about me. I, you know, my journey is my own journey. And I think for me to continue to be on that. But I think the leadership uh, of Tier Fund, you know, working on this, you know, uh, across the region. So just continue to pray that, you know, as we have more men and women leading this, they will have the wisdom, the, you know, they will have the inspiration, they will have the perseverance um, in, in, that is needed uh, in this long journey ahead. And we will be in movement together with yourselves and others in this space as well. So, yeah, just pray for them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that would be really helpful. 
thank you again, Prabhu. And, and we're grateful to hear your voice, to experience the joy, and to pray for some of the challenges and the work that you face in coming months. It's been a pleasure. So uh, this is uh, the global impact of egalitarian theology. Thanking you for listening and be sure and check out the sound notes and story notes to learn more about Prabhu and his work. And God bless you all. Bye-bye. So Kim, is it amazing to hear the success and the challenges, the complexity, just this incredible fabric Prabhu presented today. I, I'm just, my brain is just reeling. Oh my gosh. I just loved everything he had to say. And um, I was so encouraged. I mean, the stories he could tell of just going into places where, you know, the strong patriarchy is all anyone had, has ever seen. And their honest questions of, I've never seen anything different. How can I do this? Right. And how, you know, and so then, you know, well, Jesus did it different. There's our example. And then coming back six months later and seeing the change. Oh, and then his story, his statistics. I mean, statistics aren't usually that exciting, but woo, those numbers <laughs> were. <laughs> I know, I know. And just, I, I think as Americans, perhaps we can be overly simplistic about how to solve a problem, march in there, boss a few people around, it's over. And he, his ideas, his, the power of his message was leaders have to model the message. They have to understand the complexities involved. They cannot make assumptions based on our cultural expectations. They have to actually meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. And yeah. all of that struck me to the core. Yeah, it was so powerful. And his hope, you know, in the midst of, right. you know, he said, sometimes you can get discouraged, but then um, there's so much hope. I mean, after our recording ended, he said that this has expanded from five countries they're working in to 10, mm -hmm. and they're translating to more languages. Right now, Hindi and Bengali, which just gets me super excited. <laughs> like, woo! <laughs> oh. I know. I know. And I, I thought, there you go. You know, it's too easy to become despairous that nothing will ever change. It will always be like this. And that's just a lie. I mean, that just paralyzes the good work we're called to and to see and celebrate our colleagues and in the changes that they see and have been part of. Mm hmm. Exactly. Really, and mm -hmm. if we think of all of these changes that he is documenting and, and his own example of his own life where his son is watching him and his son is coming out with a different way of looking at relationships between men and women than he had growing up in his abusive home. Mm -hmm. You think if this is happening around the world that the children are growing up and mm -hmm. what their normal is, is mm -hmm. a mutuality between men and women. Mm -hmm. <gasps> but you know, Kim, I think a big part of his story is vulnerability, challenging mm -hmm. stigmas, allowing men to be uh, share their stories of victimization, mm -hmm. which, which breaks down those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I find it profound and just a, a relief to welcome honesty. 
Yes, exactly. That honesty and to, that honesty is what is so healing. Right. And then you don't have to prop up some persona. Um, and it is freeing because it's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm just so glad to be on this journey, really. I know. And talking to people like that makes me really excited to be on this journey with these amazing people. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned to the new episodes coming to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. In the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow our guests and find links to organizations, books, and resources mentioned in their interview. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. Go to their website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content and subscribe to their blog, magazine, and academic journal. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events and visit their bookstore where you can find talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Kimberly Dixon with Mimi Haddad. We would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.